0: Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast, presented by 4 I am your host, Greg Smith, and the music on today's podcast is a song called San Francisco by the band Lucero. Check out the link in the show notes to the T-Map B-Sides playlist on Spotify to hear the full track, plus all the other tunes I've played on my episodes. And speaking of San Francisco, today I'm going to be talking about the 49ers' evisceration of the Cincinnati Bengals, plus all the other Week 2 action with my old friend, Josh ADHD. We're going to review what stood out to us through Sunday's games and pick some booms and busts of the week at each position. This episode is sponsored by Fantasy Draft. They are the only rake free daily fantasy site in the business, and they are back for week three with another massive slate of rake free contests. Only on Fantasy Draft are 100% of entry fees paid to contest winners. So sign up at fantasydraft.com today with the promo code RADIO, R A D I O, and you'll get a free seven day trial membership to use on your first $1,000 in rake free entries. And now I'd like to welcome in Josh ADHD. Follow him on Twitter at Josh underscore ADHD and check out his work over at Roto Grinders. Welcome to the show, Josh. It's good to get you on here at 444. How
1: are you doing? Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I'm excited to talk a little early season football since we've had so many big events happen already.
0: Yeah, the injuries really started to pile up in week two. And just in general, there were a lot of strange games, kind of strange outcomes, at least in terms of what I was expecting. So, uh, I mean, big picture, I want to start off with what I think are probably the two most prominent stories coming out of Sunday. We're recording this on Monday morning. Uh, the Drew Brees injury, he hurt his thumb. The Ben Roethlisberger elbow injury. Not only do we have to think about, you know, what is going to happen for the backup quarterbacks coming in behind these guys, but we also need to think about how is this is going to affect the skill position players on those two teams. So let's let's start with the first part there. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater coming in for Brees, Mason Rudolph coming in for Roethlisberger, these guys probably aren't relevant outside of two quarterback leagues, uh, but what's your take on these two players versus each other? Like if you had to set a waiver priority or put more fab on one guy or the other in a two quarterback format, which direction are you going bridgewater or Rudolph?
1: Oh man, this is like an, I feel like this is an impossible choice on Monday morning as, with the games are fresh, but I think if gun to head, I would probably lean bridgewater. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a very close lean, but I, I think it's just because of the the guy calling the plays with Sean Payton and the players surrounding him, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, obviously. I, Bridgewater has more to work with. He has an excellent offensive line. It's pretty much on par with what they have in Pittsburgh. So I, I give the lean to Teddy Bridgewater, but it's very close. I think he could just flip a coin, to be honest.
0: No, I agree with you. I think... For the situation, the advantage goes to Bridgewater. They're just a little bit better pieces to work with there. Uh, Like I said, a better coach. Bridgewater also has a slight advantage to start more games because it seems like the Roethlisberger injury may not be quite as serious as the Breeze injury. Now, I'm only speculating here. I'm not a doctor, but kind of based upon the reports that are coming out, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Roethlisberger only misses a game or two, especially because that's kind of been his M.O. over the years. He's not one to sit out when he's a little dinged up. So I could see him coming back sooner rather than later, but that's, again, complete speculation. Uh, I think the one thing that is in Rudolph's favor is that kind of untapped, unknown upside, just because we haven't really seen him in the regular season before. That actually does have some appeal in a two-quarterback format because you might be able to get that guy at a bargain. Uh, Let's move on to the other players in those offenses, Josh. What do you think the impact is on the skill position players for New Orleans and Pittsburgh? Uh, you know, parse it out however you like.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'll start with Pittsburgh. You know, what little I've watched of Mason Rudolph yesterday, it doesn't really – it's not much different than what you would have seen him do in the preseason. It's pretty inefficient, um, low A dot stuff. And, you know, I, just looking at his stat line now, he's 12-19 for 112 yards. Now, he get, did get two scores in the comeback effort, so that's encouraging. I mean, they could at least put the ball in the end zone. But so far as the skill position, guys, I mean, he's, he's you know, I think both touchdowns went to Vance McDonald, which is, if you're a Vance McDonald owner, I think you're excited about this because, you know, if it's a lower A dot quarterback coming in, then McDonald should stand to benefit from that. Uh, Washington and um, Dante Moncrief, on the other hand, I, I think it's going to be feast or famine for those guys. And Juju, it will remain to be seen. I think you still start Juju because he's going to be a target monster. But I just I do have concerns about his efficiency rolling back to Mason Rudolph. So I, it's not a situation where I would try to trade these guys because you're going to get pennies on the dollar at this at this rate. But I would just ride it out and wait for Ben to come back. Now flip over to New Orleans. I I think Breeze is potential. He could miss the rest of the season, depending on how bad that injury is. And, you know, if a guy can't grip a football, what good is he throwing it? Um so, what happens with that offense? I think Alvin Kamara is still productive. I was a bit surprised they didn't target him more yesterday once Breeze went out, but it just, it, they didn't have the ball. It looked like, it looked like their snap count just crashed and cratered to earth. So, if that's the case, that these guys are not running 70 snaps a game anymore, let's say they're running 50 to 55, then yeah, I think you have to be very concerned. About Michael Thomas, you have to be very concerned about Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, in particular Latavius Murray, because if, if New Orleans is not playing with a lead like they normally do, they can't sit on people, then Murray's not really going to have the opportunity to get the ball as much as he needs to get the ball for you to use him confidently. So I, I think that their, their usage tree really narrows with Breeze out of the game, if it's Bridgewater or if it's Taysom Hill playing quarterback, which I think is not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, I, I, you know, I think you could probably still start Michael Thomas with confidence, but his efficiency will suffer. I think you still start Alvin Kamara with confidence, although his efficiency will suffer. It's just, you're going to have to ride it out, man, because trading these guys right
0: now is not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's a downgrade kind of across the board for all the players in both these offenses, ultimately. But I am going to give Bridgewater and Rudolph a little benefit of the doubt coming out of those games because... It's not like they were in there taking first-team reps during practice. Those guys were unexpectedly put into those situations where they're forced to start. And that gives me a little bit of hope that maybe these guys can improve over the next couple weeks. Now, we have to see it, right? We have to see if Bridgewater can you know, make some bigger down-the-field throws. When I was watching that game, that was really what kind of stood out to me, is he was fine on the low a dot stuff, kind of like what you're talking about with Rudolph. But when he had to throw it down the field... He struggled with that, and that was uh, a problem for the receivers for sure. Like I don't think Ted Ginn even registered a catch yesterday, and it was an even bigger problem, or not an even bigger, but it was also a problem for Jared Cook. I think this is an interesting kind of inflection point between these two situations is when Rudolph comes in there and the average depth of the target drops down, that helps Vance McDonald, right? He's not moving down the field to catch the ball quite as much, whereas Jared Cook kind of within his role in that Saints offense is more of a downfield guy. And I'm really worried about him going forward because he was a guy who we were drafting ahead of Vance McDonald as that kind of tight end seven or tight end eight pretty routinely. I'm worried about him. That You didn't really mention Cook in your analysis there, Josh. Do you have any takes on Jared Cook?
1: Uh, I did not, and that's only because I, I don't feel like he's really made much of a splash like we thought he would in the first couple of weeks. Now, granted, he's got like one week and a half of a quarter with Drew Brees before that went to pot. So, I, you know, I think your analysis of Cook's role in the offense as a seam buster is, is really accurate. And if he's a seam buster, then I don't know if Bridgewater and him are going to really um, coalesce very well. So I think – if you have Jared Cook, I think you should probably reserve hope that maybe they reconfigure the offense a little bit to utilize him because he's one of the best players in the offense from a skill position standpoint. I think they should try to use him. It's just they're going to have to tweak it. And if if they tweak it, that's what I'm on a wait-and-see mode about.
0: I think that tight ends in general are so fluky that we probably shouldn't spend too much time about it. The, the bigger storyline to me are the running backs, especially on New Orleans, like Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray. Kamara didn't look good yesterday. He finishes the RB38, only six and a half fantasy points and half PPR scoring. He could easily be, you know, one of the guys that we tab later as our bust of the week at running back. And it's easy to maybe blame it on Bridgewater, but I, I'm like you. Like, I saw that, you know, Bridgewater was in there, and I kind of expected them maybe to lean on the running game a little bit more. Uh, and maybe this is just more evidence of the fact that if the opposing team knows or thinks you're going to run it more often, then that then it's probably actually not effective to run the ball. But you know, Kamara has been so effective out of the backfield as a receiver, and he, even you know running routes from wide receiver positions. That's the stuff I'm worried about with him. Is if he loses that elite pass catching work as a running back, we could be really considering him as a letdown uh, while Breeze is out. So uh, I don't know. Let's take a look at these quarterbacks in more of a one-quarterback context, and maybe you're looking to stream or just kind of make a pickup because you lost Roethlisberger or you lost Breeze. What are you doing with Bridgewater and Rudolph versus some of the other guys we might expect to be available on a one-quarterback waiver wire? Like, How about those two backups versus Jacoby Brissett?
1: I think I'd rather have Brissett. By by a mile. Um, okay. Same. How about Andy Dalton? And I'd rather have Andy Dalton at this point because he, when when the team was competitive, they were chucking the ball. When the team was behind yesterday against San Francisco, they were chucking the ball and productively chucking the ball. So I I think right now with you know Cincinnati running what appears to be you know Los Angeles light offense, I, I think uh, either Dalton or Brissett are fine. Now, Dalton's probably for me versus Brissett if we just narrow it back to these two guys instead of the uh, Rudolph and Bridgewater. Dalton Brissett. I'd rather have Dalton because they're throwing the ball a bunch. You know, it's Indianapolis. I think if they get leads, they're going to be happy to run the ball and kill the clock. I think they're trying to protect the offense to some degree, and that showed a little bit yesterday. Now they, you know, they obviously they did throw the ball down downfield quite a bit, but I still think they're going to try to protect Brissett as much as they can. So to me, it's it's Dalton
0: going away. All right, one more for you, and this one might be a little bit closer. Gardner Minshew. Uh, you know. He was scrappy yesterday, wasn't he? I mean, he he, was. he he made plays when he
1: needed to make some plays. Now, they weren't quite enough plays, but the fact of the matter is they were in that game the entire time, and Minshew gave them an opportunity to win at the end. That's really all you can ask for from a guy stepping into his first start. So I still think I side with Dalton with the way that offense is operating. I would probably put it Dalton, Brissett and then Minshew, and then Rudolph and Bridgewater back there just because I haven't seen it from Rudolph or Bridgewater like I have the other three guys
0: yeah that makes sense and I think there might even be some better guys available depending upon how deep the league is that you're in you could look at maybe Matthew Stafford or Jimmy Garoppolo even Josh Allen I think is available in like 60 percent of leagues or 50 percent of leagues and if any of those guys are available I think those are no-brainers over all the guys we've already talked about but let's move on past these quarterback injuries Josh what else stood out to you in week two
1: you know, I, I've, you know, we talked about Cincinnati already, and I was going to mention Cincinnati one more time as something that stood out to me because I, what I thought was interesting was that Tyler Boyd and John Ross were highly productive again, second week in a row. So I, it looks like this offense is really geared toward getting these two guys a lot of targets. Now, John Ross saw eight targets. He was not efficient, but the ones he did catch – went a long way. He scored a touchdown again. So I it's looking like John Ross is going to be this guy that nobody drafted all offseason that's going to be highly productive this year. And then Tyler Boyd, it's kind of the the song remains the same carried over from last year. He's been highly productive. He caught all 10 of his targets yesterday, which is really impressive. So I I think that's something worth noting and mentioning maybe as trade targets. Now, at this point, you may have to pay a lot for it, but uh, at any point there, you may see a dip week in their performance. It might be a time to go grab them. I thought... Something else was interesting yesterday is the, the Dallas offense uh, just continued marching along with this new scheme. They were highly yeah. efficient yesterday. Dak Prescott was 26 of 30, I believe, which was – you know, that's a stat line you didn't see from him before, like this high-efficiency stat line. And he and wasn't dink and dunk stuff either. He's throwing the ball down the field. They had beautiful long ball to Devin Smith for a touchdown, for a 50-plus yard touchdown early in the game. And it, what you see from this Dallas offense is the, the deception that they've added in pre-snap has really kind of unleashed all of these guys to to do what they do best. And it's just such a refreshing thing to see. I think, barring injury to Dak Prescott, I'm going to knock on wood because of the rash of quarterback injuries we've seen. It's I think this Dallas offense is just going to be something to behold for the rest of the season. Uh, on the flip side, the other side of that game, I thought Terry McLaurin was really interesting again. I did not expect him to see the target load that he saw yesterday. He got nine targets, caught five of them. Um, but I think it looks like this is here to stay for Terry McLaurin. And if he's the best receiver in this offense, as often as this team will be behind, if, I mean, this was probably mentioned ad nauseum last week, but it's he's a guy you need to look at having on your roster. So I I was really su- pleasantly surprised to see him come back and perform again this week. It's a good thing. and We need more players like that because of all the injuries and all the uh, underperformance from some of the guys we drafted highly this year.
0: Yeah, McLaurin definitely seems like the number one receiver there in Washington, and he's been fun to watch. Like you said, the targets have been a little bit higher than expected, but he's working with those targets, and I think the really nice thing about thinking about adding him is if Washington does eventually move on from Case Keenum to to Dwayne Haskins, and we have to assume that's going to happen at some point this season, especially if they keep losing, McLaurin probably shouldn't miss a beat, right, because that's his college quarterback. I can't wait to see how that situation plays out. I, I drafted McLaurin in a couple spots. I picked it up. Picked him up and a couple others, and I'm optimistic. Uh, But getting back to Dallas, I wanted to kind of drum up these do running backs matter takes a little bit more (laughs) because we haven't beaten that dead horse enough. But how much do you think it would matter if Ezekiel Elliott got hurt? Because you mentioned, you know, hopefully they don't lose Dak. But what if they lose Zeke? Because... I wonder, you mentioned all the misdirection, the, the deception that they're running pre-snap. I think a lot of that is predicated on them being a good threat to run the ball down your throat on any given play with Zeke. Are we going to get that same sort of threat with Tony Pollard if Zeke is out? Uh, do you think, how much do you think the offense would be affected if he were to miss time?
1: I think it will be affected some because defenses to this point are still keying on the run game for Dallas as that their modus operandi, and it's not that it's not that anymore. We've seen through two games, Dallas is a passing offense that runs the ball when they need to run the ball, and if it's Pollard back there, I do think defenses will will key on the pass play just a little bit more, not thinking that they're going to give the ball to Pollard, but. I am of the opinion that it, if that were the scenario, that Dallas would run more effectively than they would with Ezekiel Elliott because defenses aren't looking at Pollard as this bell cow type back, he, that he's you know, just a guy filling in. And I think Pollard can make him suffer. So I it's I think Dallas is in a situation now with um, Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator where they can rope-a-dope defenses a lot more than they used to under Scott Linehan. And to me, that's a good thing. So if Zeke misses time man, I'm plugging Pollard right in there and expecting better production on maybe slightly less touches.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Now, the thing that stood out to me, and I'm going to take this all the way back to Thursday night, I had this revelation during that game and kind of leading up to the game because I was worried about it. But I'm thinking that the whole Bruce Arians, you know, coaching narrative propping up the Tampa Bay offense was a bit of a trap. I think we're just suffering from some recency bias uh, with those couple good years that he had in Arizona. Uh, and th- there's a little bit of misconception about how good of an offensive coach he really is. So I-, I went and dug into his pro football reference page, right? And as the offensive coordinator or the head coach, Bruce Arians has only ranked top 14 in pass attempts three times. 2012, he was with the Colts. He had Andrew Luck, Reggie Wayne, T.Y. Hilton, and Donnie Avery as leading receivers there. But more importantly, the running backs he had that year were Vic Ballard and Donald Brown. Like, no no surprise, they threw the ball a ton that year. Damn it, Donald. The next time he did it uh, was in 2015 with the Cardinals, and at that point, he had Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, John Brown, and Michael Floyd, and that was year one of David Johnson when he was splitting time with Chris Johnson out of the backfield, and even at age 36, this was kind of the peak of Carson Palmer's powers. He led the NFL in QBR, and basically all the per-attempt measures, like from yards per attempt to adjusted net yards per attempt, Palmer was the best that season, so Maybe it wasn't Bruce Arians. Maybe he just had a quarterback who was playing really well that year, right? And a bunch of great weapons. And then the next time that he finished top 14 in at attempts, Arians was, it was the following year, 2016 with the Cardinals. Same setup as 2015, except there was no Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson was replaced by Andre Ellington, Andre Ellington, a receiving back. And that was the peak of David Johnson's powers, 120 targets as a running back. So I don't know. I'm looking at this stuff and it just seems more like coincidence when Bruce Arians was you know, considered this elite passing game coach and I I think it was foolish for us to look at how many attempts that they had last year you know with um who was that Todd Monken in Tampa Bay and expect that to repeat and I I mean I fell for it uh I think a lot of other people did too and I think at this point we have to be worried about that Tampa Bay offense going forward
1: I certainly see your argument I think it has merit and if I were making any trade offers I would weigh that very heavily If I'm trying to acquire Tampa Bay players, to me, this is the best time to go get Tampa Bay players. They just played a dog of a Thursday night game in front of everybody in the United States and worldwide. And we know the talent that all these players have It's Godwin. It's Evans. Um, It's also, you know, Winston is talented. He's a bit of a bonehead, but he's talented. I mean, this offense could catch fire at any point and just be lighting the league up like we all thought they would in the preseason. I don't see them missing very much. Counter to what you discussed a minute ago with the Cardinals teams or the Indianapolis team that that he was a beneficiary of. So that said, you know, yeah, maybe Arians was a beneficiary of it. Maybe his shine is a little bit better because of Carson Palmer catching fire, because of Andrew Luck being this amazing passer out of college. I don't know. I just I, I see something here in Tampa Bay. I, I feel like maybe they're just on the precipice of it. Maybe because of the lack of preseason action, they didn't quite get all their timing, all their mojo down. Uh, maybe we just need to give these guys two or three more weeks, and then we're going to see something that we expected to see in week one.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's probably a, a more reasonable and rational take after two weeks, because this is the extended preseason. The first two weeks of the season are not— something that we can fully read into because a lot of these guys are getting their first, you know, first team reps all year. Uh, I mean, outside of practice. And I I guess we also should give Winston and that offense a a little bit of a benefit of the doubt based upon the two teams they played. Uh, The Niners defense actually seems a little frisky. Like they were pretty good against Cincinnati as well. And the Carolina defense is good. I I don't like to read too much into matchup stuff like that, but um, maybe I'm overreacting here. But I, I, I just think that there's a chance that, I was overvaluing the Bruce Arian effects in particular. Now, that's not to say I don't like the players there. It's not to say I don't like the setup for them as a passing offense because, I mean, realistically, you look at Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones out of the backfield, like, they're not going to beat you by running the ball. So they need to throw. Uh, and that was part of why I liked, you know, Jameis and all of his receivers coming into the year as well. But I guess more I'm just kind of trying to fade the the coaching narrative at this point. I think that makes sense based upon, you know, the evidence that we have and what we've seen through two weeks. But um, we'll see how it plays out. Like you said, there's a, a lot of other reasons why this could be happening. Now let's move on to another player or situation, Josh, where you think you're going to need more time to watch or more evidence before you'll feel confident about your fantasy analysis.
1: This is kind of tough right now because I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about a lot of guys. I'm not real sure how to feel about it. Like I, I feel like Carson Wentz has looked kind of bad to open mm-hmm. the season and maybe that's a lack of work for him. Now he looked dynamite in the third and fourth quarters last night, especially in the fourth quarter. You know, it was more of the that was more of the like the grinder type quarterback that we saw in 2017, that kind of you know dragged that offensive round by its collar and forced it to score points. So I you know maybe maybe something happened late in the game last night where he kind of came to life. Now hopefully we'll see that he doesn't have a severe rib injury or something after last night's game. Um, you could tell it affected him in the in the first half, the second half he's a different player. All I can say is Torridol must be amazing. So, you know, today, (laughs) Wentz may be feeling a lot differently than he did in the second half. Hopefully, it doesn't affect him going forward. Um, I, I did expect Miles Sanders to have a little bit more of a hold on the backfield than he does at this point, but Philly hasn't played with any leads. So I think it remains to be seen whether he's going to be given this true bell cow role. I think it will eventually happen. But yeah, Philly's been playing from behind. Like, the whole time. They lost last night. They they almost lost to Washington. It will be interesting to see what happens with them next week. I, I can't remember offhand who they play, but, you know, at some point we're going to see this Philly team get a lead, a couple score lead, and start to squat on people, and then I think we'll start to see the real complexion um, of the offense. Now, what happens with Philly at receiver? You know, we that's something to talk about. Deshaun Jackson went down last night. Alshon Jeffrey went down last night. J.J. Uh, Arcega-Whiteside did not look like he did in the preseason he looked pretty rough so is it going to be the nelson Aguilar show well i guess we'll see with his concussion protocol so it's man it's, there's so many moving pieces changing so quickly in week two that i think week three is going to be very interesting from a uh, from a who we start perspective how we play it what are we going to do on waivers and uh, this is really the kind of chaos that i love so i'm interested to hear your thoughts on the same question
0: I think we're definitely going to have to get into those Philadelphia receivers when we do our waiver show tomorrow, uh, because there's opportunity there for sure. Uh, We know this team likes to pass. I'm with you on Sanders. I expected more sooner from him, but I'm not surprised that he's still been kind of limited. But if only because, like you said, the game script hasn't really been them for them to be heavily running the ball we can look at the snap share there for Philly and you know be encouraged though. Sanders played 43% of the snaps yesterday, Sproles played 35, Jordan Howard played 22. So at least in terms of you know the the early down backs, Sanders is almost doubling Howard's snap share, which is good. Sproles eating into the receiving work is is a bit of a red flag for Sanders and I'm curious to see how long Sproles can hold up. If he holds up all season, this could be a you know a routine thorn in our side. With Miles Sanders, but I think there is still reason for optimism for all the reasons you stated. One of the guys I'm still reserving judgment on, and I I hate to say this because I've always been a fan, is Marcus Mariota. His ultimate stat line I think looks okay in terms of fantasy points from week one and week two, but I'm just not sure I trust him anymore to remain the starter all year. Like beyond like the touchdowns that are propping up his fantasy numbers, he just hasn't been that good as a real-life quarterback. Like the accuracy hasn't really been there and He's having a hard time getting his receivers involved. And I, I just think eventually we might see Ryan Tannehill. And so if you're in a two-quarterback format, you might want to try to get in front of that. Uh, if you are you know, looking for a streamer, I don't know if Mariota's the guy you want uh, just based upon the fact that these first two weeks have been very propped up by touchdown variance, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think Mariota's a very good guy to bring up. Um, they, he's a guy drafted real heavily in the offseason as a QB3 in the last round of drafts because I thought there was an opportunity there for him in a contract year to kind of shed that game manager label and really kind of and kind of cut loose. And this offense does not want to cut loose. They only threw 28 passes yesterday, and they lost. You know, granted, they had to lead the entire game up until the fourth quarter, but the fact of the matter is, like, they run this real kind of caveman prehistoric offense still, and, it's you know, this is the vision of Mike Rabel. Well, Mike Rabel's going to lose games by two points because – you know, that they, they don't want to cut this guy loose and for some reason Mariota doesn't want to cut himself loose. I just I I agree with you. I think we should have seen more from Mariota. It's not there. And honestly, I don't know if they gain anything by going to Ryan Tannehill. He's the same player at this point. Yeah. It just with more experience. And so, you know, with do they do it at some point to try to, you know, quote unquote light the fire under Mariota's butt? I it's possible, I guess, but you know, to me, I think they let Mariota play out his contract here and then he moves on next year, and we probably see, you know, we might see Tua in Tennessee, which would be kind of fun.
0: Yeah, it's possible. Now, what do you think was the biggest mirage from week two? Like, what performance or storyline are you the most skeptical about?
1: Uh, you know, it's a good question. I, I kind of struggle with this, too. Like, you know, I guess we could say maybe the Rams' dominance yesterday. That That's a bit of a mirage because, you know, they played Teddy Bridgewater, who wasn't ready to play. So, you know, the Rams dominated. They did have struggles against Carolina in week one. And we saw how Carolina struggled themselves in week two on Thursday night. You know, they, they just didn't win that game. They didn't come prepared. They didn't play well. And so, you know, is, is Carolina the mirage is, you know, are the Rams the mirage? I think there's so many situations like that right now where teams maybe won in week one, lost in week two or flip flop from that. And they look like completely different teams. There's a lot of squads we could say that about like, you know, Green Bay, Green Bay looked great yesterday. And they look just kind of ho-hum against Chicago. And then, you know, Chicago looked ho-hum, and they looked ho-hum again yeah. yesterday. You know, Denver Denver's a tire fire. There's just so many teams out there right now that are just – it's Jekyll and Hyde after two weeks, and you just can't really seem to get your head around what's real and what's not. We need
0: more data. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we need more data on Denver. I think they're just going to be bad. Like, who knew bringing in Joe Flacco wasn't going to work? I mean, <laughs> why, why are we surprised at all? But, yeah, I, I agree with you about – Carolina and the Rams too is very interesting. I I watched most of that game and the Saints had a defensive touchdown wiped off the board by the refs, like just new Orleans continuing to get jobbed by the guys in black and white on the field. It's so sad and tilting to watch, but yeah, Cam Jordan had a big fumble recovery return for a touchdown that the refs blew dead too early. And that could have changed the whole complexion of the game. Like, and like you said, they were playing against Teddy Bridgewater, not Drew Brees. I still think the Rams are probably one of the best teams in the NFC, but Yes, I think that that game necessarily wasn't indicative of exactly how good they are. Like, they looked elite, but maybe they're just very good. Uh, I want to peg a, a specific player from... Uh, I'm going to go back to that Carolina-Tampa Bay game. I don't know why we're talking so much about it. Maybe just because it was such a, a train wreck. Those Thursday night games are always so discombobulating to watch. But Peyton Barber, I know that he looked good when he was playing. Like, he had some nice runs. He played 65% of the snaps. Ronald Jones only played 12%. But... I just think he was a game script hero, man. I, I don't think that what you saw from him was something that is going to be repeatable week to week because I don't know if they're really going to be, you know, leading games like that the same way every week. I'm I, I know I had 23 carries for 82 yards. That's only 3.2 yards per carry, which you know we might not necessarily think about that because we remember the handful of runs where he looked really good, you know, where he's plunging into the end zone. Uh, so yeah, I think that. Barber is one that I'm still going to be skeptical of uh, because, one, there are other running backs there in that offense that might continue to kind of eat into his workload a little bit. And two, I just don't think the game script is going to be there like that every week.
1: I think that's a good point. You know, this running game in Tampa under Bruce Arians looks a lot like the running game under Dirk Cutter and Todd Munkin. I, I don't think they're running to be productive. I think they're running just to run. I think they're running to kill the clock, running to sit on a lead, running to let Jameis have a break between plays so he can think about what's going to happen next. I, to me, that's what it seems like is happening with Peyton Barber. He's he's a recipient of volume with purpose, but his purpose is not necessarily to get 100 yards. His purpose is just to kill the clock. So, yeah, it's it's low yardage per carry, bad efficiency, occasional touchdown. Um would you put that in your lineup in a pinch? You're damn right you would, because right now with so many running backs getting dinged up, if you can get 15 to 20 carries out of a player and a target or two, I think you'd stick that in your lineup and hope for the best. Even though it may end up being you know four or five fantasy points, it's better than nothing. So, you know, Barber's interesting. I, I wonder when Dario Gambale is going to start to see more volume. Um, he's playing the snaps. He's just not necessarily getting any touches. I haven't seen them give him any carries yet. Uh, just a couple of targets here and there. I feel like he's going to work himself in at some point, but I just haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I'm not not fully convinced yet. Uh, but with that said, he like you said, he got the carries. And maybe that's all that matters. You know, If he can continue to get 15 to 20 carries each and every week, then he's going to be fantasy viable. But I'd probably be looking to sell high. Barber could have been one of our booms of the week, and we're going to get to all the different booms and busts of the week. But first, let's take a break for the sponsor of the show. Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business, has partnered with Hooters to bring you the largest guaranteed rake-free contest lineup in the history of daily fantasy sports. And I'm sure they'll be back again in week three with another massive rake-free contest, similar to the Hooters Million, uh, a $1 million contest rake-free last week. And that's right, Fantasy Draft is running big contests without a rake. This is the only place where you can play 100% rake-free. And meanwhile, other fantasy sites are going to continue to raise their rakes. They're going to squeeze those prize pools, make it harder for you to win, and whether you're calling it rake or commission or management fee, whatever, the day of paying that percentage of your entry fee to the house, those are over because Fantasy Draft pays out 100% of the entry fees to the contest entrance every time. To access all of Fantasy Draft's exclusive rake-free contests, all you need to do is become a member. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 444, and you'll get a free seven-day trial towards your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's fantasydraft.com, promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4. Don't miss your shot at millions of dollars in rake-free contests this season. Start playing on Fantasy Draft today. Your bankroll is going to love it. All right, Josh, we're back. Now, booms of the week. Which players outperformed your expectations the most in week two? Let's start with uh, running backs. As yeah, so running back,
1: I was really surprised by Aaron Jones and not because of the bad week that he had in week one. I just thought that the Vikings defense would offer a lot more resistance to the running game. And instead, Aaron Jones just went off. You know, he had six targets, caught four of those, you know, well over 100 yards. Now, the good thing about this is the Packers had the lead and Aaron Jones was getting the ball instead of Jamal Williams. Um, that's exactly what you were drafting Aaron Jones in the third round for was this kind of stat line. In fact, that out this outperforms anything that you drafted him in the third round for. So I thought that was very, very pleasantly surprising. On and the I, other side of that was Dalvin Cook. Sorry, go ahead, Greg. You were hopping in.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and it's a little damning of Devonta Freeman in week one, right? Like, because he couldn't get it going against the Minnesota defense, and he didn't look great in week two either. I, I mean, I'm, I'm moving away from booms into busts already, but uh, are you worried about Devonta Freeman kind of for that reason?
1: Yeah, I, I'd say the difference, though, is that the Packers had a lead, a very you know commanding lead throughout that entire game up until the end and atlanta was never in that game so i mean the 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 vikings defense is just teeing off on atlanta in that in that game and uh, the other difference is you know there's there's a home and away effect here atlanta was playing in minnesota and you know last this week we have minnesota at green bay a place where they tend to struggle a little bit so you know, I, I think there's some juxtaposition we need to think about here when when considering what they did. Now, Devonte Freeman last night, eh, he didn't look that good either. So, I I I don't know if it's Devontae Freeman that's the problem. It may be the the Atlanta offense that's the problem. The Atlanta offense looks very disjointed and kind of discombobulated at this point. They they had some success last night, but they didn't have much success in Minnesota. So I think they're kind of a a Jekyll and Hyde situation. We we'll have to wait to see. All right, so back to Dalvin
0: Cook. I'm sorry I cut off your, your No, that's
1: fine. There. Yeah. Let's talk about Dalvin Cook. So Dalvin Cook, he surprised me yesterday. I know a lot of folks were still on him as a, you know, as a boom candidate and he boomed a lot more than I expected him to. And that's not because the the Packers defense is is great. I don't think that defense is great. I think they're better than they were, but I think we saw them play Mitchell Trubisky in week 1 and be very prepared for him. And they looked a lot better than they probably are. So, all right, let's talk about Dalvin Cook. What I see is that with Minnesota down 21 to nothing at one point in the game, Dalvin Cook, in a comeback effort, still got 20 carries. And he ran for 154 yards. So what I see here is this is the theme that Minnesota talked about all offseason. We're a running team. We're a running team. We're a running team. And, damn it, they are a running team. They're showing it. So they're backing up their words. So if you have Dalvin Cook, I think you're very happy right now because no matter rain or shine, that dude's getting the rock. Um, if you don't have Dalvin Cook and you want to acquire him, you're going to have to come correct at this point, and I don't know what it's going to take to get him. Maybe, depending on someone like James Conner's injury, maybe you could get like James Conner plus a, a small piece to get him. I don't know, but it, I think it's you're going to have to kind of back up a truck to get Dalvin Cook at this point based on his last two performances.
0: Yeah, my boom of the week, and it, it- – Might as well just be the whole San Francisco 49ers offense as a whole. But uh, for now, I'm going to focus on the running backs. Raheem Mostert, RB2, 26.5 fantasy points. Jeff Wilson, RB9 with 15.4 fantasy points. And meanwhile, Matt Breda was the RB13 with 13.7 points on 13 touches. Uh, Breda averaged 10.2 yards per touch. So he was on fire, but the other guy scored the touchdowns. you know, go figure, right? A classic running back by committee tilt-fest. Uh, so I was really impressed with the Niners' D, uh, offense in general, and it, it was reflected by all the work that those running backs got against Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, and I think we're also seeing a pattern, excuse me, start to develop with the Bengals' defense here and receiver productivity. So last last week, we had um, DK Metcalf, very productive against this Bengals' defense. This week, Debo Samuel and Marquise Goodwin. Debo Samuel a little more so because he had seven targets, five for 87 and a score, I think we are seeing a pattern now with the Bengals defense where we can attack them relentlessly with wide receivers. Now, what I need to do is go check my data and see if this is a slot receiver or a flanker that's making all the hay against the Bengals defense. But what we do see is that receivers are having very productive days against them so far. And this may be a situation where if we're looking to make a waiver claim for a fringe receiver to play against Cincinnati, we want to make sure we grab the right guy. So it'll be some... There'll be some stat analysis going on here to see what archetype is is succeeding against them so far.
0: Yeah, Uh, you mentioned Debo Samuel. He was one of my booms of the week at wide receiver. Wide receiver nine so far, 17.9 points. And this comes after Kyle Shanahan said he probably played Samuel too much in week one. So I'm I'm assuming at this point for all of us, the Niners coach has moved into never trust a word he says territory. Uh, But uh, yeah, Debo for me at boom of the week. uh, Who else you got uh, for wide receiver?
1: So the other player I thought at wide receiver was a really – it was a boom for me was Kenny Galladay. I thought Kenny Galladay had an opportunity to have a good day, but he had a great day against that really tough Chargers pass defense. I didn't expect him to get the target load that he saw, and I'm clicking around again to find that target load. Here it is. So, I mean, he got ten targets, eight for 117 and a score. That's an amazing stat line against this Chargers defense. So I thought that was highly encouraging. What we did here some – you know, I, I guess clamoring during the offseason that Marvin Jones might be the true wide receiver one here. It doesn't seem to be the case. Between the last couple of weeks, Galladay, I believe, got nine targets against Arizona, another 10 against the Chargers. I mean, he's the, you know, de facto wide receiver one in Detroit. The target load's going to be there for him. And I think if you're looking to trade for a guy that's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, Galladay may be the perfect target.
0: Yeah, I like it. Now we can't get through this section without mentioning DeMarcus Robinson because he finishes the wide receiver one kind of out of nowhere, 32.2 fantasy points in half point PPR scoring. It turns out it's, it's good to be invested in the chiefs offense. Go figure. Uh, another guy I want to throw out here, Emmanuel Sanders, wide receiver three with 23.3 points. And, I mean, maybe we need to start fading the Bears' defense a little bit as you know a tough opponent for our receivers to go against. I don't necessarily if we can expect top five wide receiver numbers from everybody against them all the time, but you know, Vic Fangio's gone, right? This defense might not be quite as imposing. Uh, we saw uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantlin get loose for a big play in Week 1. I'm thinking that maybe the Bears' defense might not be as scary as, as we thought they would be for some of our players going against them. Uh, do you have any quarterbacks or tight ends you want to tout here as booms of the week, Josh?
1: So uh, tight end, obviously, I think number one you have to look at Mark Andrews for Baltimore. I mean, he did it again this week—100 plus yards, a score, high target volume. It looks like he's going to be wide receiver one, receive or you know, let's say receiver one in the Baltimore offense. Alongside him, another guy we could put in as a potential boom, um, maybe for next week and going forward, is Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown still got a heavy target load for Baltimore, uh, despite them leading the entire game. So I, you know, I think he's kind of a guy we'll need to look at. The other ones that tight in I, I thought were interesting, Jason Witten got another yep. touchdown. So, I mean, he he's older than dirt for football players' sake, not for you and me, Greg. But, you know, for, for football players' sake, he's older than dirt. He's still productive. You know, they're using him as a goal line weapon, which is, you know, that's kind of his bread and butter. He can get open six yards from the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, Dallas Goddard's hurt now. We saw Zach Ertz get 16 targets last night. And if Goddard's still out, they still have some receiver injury issues. I think Ertz is going to be in play as a heavy, heavy target load at tight end. So he boomed last night. I think his boom will continue.
0: Yep. Uh, I'm going to dig a little deeper here. I'm going to go with Will Disley from the Seahawks. Finishes the tight end three, 19 and fantasy points. Caught all five of his targets for 50 yards and two touchdowns. It's not like anybody should have been on him yesterday necessarily, but I think that he could keep this up going forward just because the Seattle receiving options are so limited. Like beyond Tyler Lockett, beyond DK Metcalf, there isn't a whole lot of trustable production in that passing game. And if Wilson is going to continue to target Will Disley, uh, he's going to, you know, creep up into that, you know, low end tight end consideration each and every week. Um, let's get to bust of the week, Josh. And we've kind of touched on some people tangentially to this point, uh, but starting at running back, which players underperformed your expectations the most in week two?
1: Front and center is Christian McCaffrey. Yep. And fantasy players put him in lineups, expecting him to get a hundred total yards and potentially a score against Tampa Bay. And, you know, that was just a visible output. He only saw six targets, which is really surprising. Even more surprising is he only caught two of them. So, I mean, this is just a very, it's like a Peyton Barber line from Christian McCaffrey that we saw And it. So, he's to me front and center bust of the week. I thought that um, I might consider Sonny Michelle a little bit of a bust this week. I thought he would be more productive against Miami. You know, he, he got 21 carries, which is exactly what you wanted to see. The you know, problem was he got it only 85 yards. He got a touchdown. He lost a fumble. Uh, late in the game which kind of put a ding in in his in his output. So I I thought he was a bit of a bust and I think we can also talk about maybe Mark Ingram as a bust. Yeah. He only had 13 touches, you know, 47 yards a very pedestrian line. He had a couple of targets, turned those into 30 yards. So I I think we probably expected a lot more out of Mark Ingram in this game against Arizona. We thought they would just totally wipe the floor with these guys. They didn't do it. It was a competitive game. And you know, that's good to see from the Arizona side. Uh, But if you had Mark Ingram starting in your lineup, I think you're a bit disappointed.
0: Those guys both made my list, uh, McCaffrey and Ingram. I also have Chris Carson speaking of fumbles. He lost one, makes his line look a little bit worse from Sunday. And I'm curious to see how much that might open the door for Rashad Penny. It's not like Penny has looked great uh, when he's been in there, but I mean, he's looked better than he did last year. Uh, The only other running back I really want to throw onto the fire here is Duke Johnson. RB 51, 3.1 fantasy points in half-point PPR. Only one target? For Duke Johnson, are we serious with this, Bill O'Brien? Like, what's going on there in Houston with those running backs?
1: I, I think it's a Bill O'Brien problem. I it just, I, to me, it seems like he really struggles figuring out how to use running backs. No, quarterbacks, wide receivers, he's he's kind of got that down. Like he that, can, yeah, he can coor- This guy can coordinate a pass game, but it, you know, utilizing running backs, it, it does appear to be a problem. They gave Carlos Hyde twenty carries. I guess they just wanted to grind this game out against Jacksonville thinking that you know Jacksonville just couldn't score enough points to keep up with 13 and you know I guess we'll see next week maybe what what Bill O'Brien really thinks of this team they play the Chargers are going to be out in LA I think that game is going to be a little bit higher scoring than what they did this week and it appears so far that you can kind of get the Chargers a little bit on the ground so I I would like to see them use Duke Johnson a little bit more in the passing game maybe it's just the fact that Duke Johnson got in there late and doesn't know the playbook that well. So uh, this would be another, you know, hold and wait situation and not abandon these players just because they've had a couple of rough weeks.
0: Yeah, I hope you're right because I'm heavily invested in Duke Johnson, but the snap share is pretty concerning. Carlos Hyde came in there late, too, and he got 61 percent of the the work yesterday. Duke Johnson was only on the field for 39 percent of the snaps, and that's pretty concerning for sure. Uh, How about wide receiver who uh, busted for you this week?
1: Oh, man. You know, you can name so many, but we could start front and center in Pittsburgh, you know, and to some degree with New Orleans as well. But I was really surprised that Juju Smith-Schuster didn't have a better day, even with Mason Rudolph coming in the game. I I thought that he would see more than eight targets, but he didn't. he he only caught five for 84. So it was a really tough day for him. I thought he was kind of a bust. Um, I, I was a bit surprised that DeAndre Hopkins didn't have a better game than he did he he only he had eight targets caught only five for 40 yards i mean they they jacksonville effectively shut him down compared to what he normally does especially against jacksonville he's usually productive against jacksonville so i was very surprised by that i thought he would have a better game and then the other player i was really surprised about but this is probably more game script than anything is uh marquez valdez scantling yes you know he got six targets caught three but only for 19 yards he just you know that guy really busted yesterday i thought he was going to be You know, a player that would see 8 to 10 targets and haul in, you know, let's say 6 of them for 100-some-odd yards and maybe or maybe not a score. But I thought he'd be more productive, and he simply wasn't.
0: Yeah, MBS was at the top of my list here. Wide receiver 74, about 3.5 fantasy points and half-point PPR scoring. I am really disappointed with that performance. He's another guy who, like Duke Johnson, I've ended up with a lot of over the offseason. Uh, Robert Woods, to me, was also a pretty big bust. That game in general, I think we all expected a little bit more scoring. Uh, again, the the Teddy Bridgewater injury, or excuse me, the Drew Brees injury kind of put the kibosh on a lot of that. But um, I don't know. Just in general, I thought Woods was going to be the number one receiver on this Rams team, and I think it's going to vary from week to week. But so far, I'm looking kind of foolish for fading Cooper Cup in the offseason. I really didn't think he'd be able to come back from that ACL injury so soon and be this productive. But uh, egg on my face so far with Cup. Um, The only other player I want to throw out at wide receiver is Danny Amendola, just because he was so good in week one, especially for PPR formats with all those targets and all those receptions. Week two, zero points. Hopefully you didn't trust Danny Danny Amendola to keep up uh, what he was doing there in Detroit. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if he can bounce back again. And I don't know, at this point, I think you kind of just have to let him be someone else's problem unless that slot corner matchup is one that's like really, really tasty week to week. Amendola's a. It, to me, he's kind of the outlier.
1: Like I I, I didn't draft any Amendola this offseason. I, I didn't have much confidence in the Lions passing game altogether outside of Kenny Galladay and and some TJ Hawkinson. So I you know, we could talk about Hawkinson as a bust in a minute when we get to tight ends. Uh but yeah, I mean like Danny Amendola, I just I, I just didn't see the path for him this season. But obviously a lot of folks did as a you know potential high volume guy, kind of like Albert Wilson would have been in Miami had he not gotten hurt again. And I'm not surprised he didn't get any targets yesterday because they you know, like I said, the, the charger pass defense is good. And clearly it looks like they can shut down the slot. If that's where Amendola is going to roam, then he's going to have a tough time.
0: I can see that. Now you mentioned Hawkinson as, as a bust at tight end and he was, you know, front and center on my list there and kind of tying into what you were just talking about, about certain defenses being good against certain positions or bad against certain positions. We can look at what Hawkinson did in week one. We can look at what Mark Andrews did against Arizona in week two. And, that Cardinals defense might be one to target with your tight end streamers. Just saying. Uh, but TJ Hawkinson, tight end 47 on the week, 1.2 fantasy points in half-point PPR scoring. What a bust.
1: Yeah. Would well, we consider Evan Ingram a bust yesterday at tight end?
0: Yeah. No, I think we we have to kind of considering what he showed us in week one. Like, uh, there were people talking him up as, oh, you know, he's he should have been the tight end four in drafts, you know. And th- this is evidence of why he actually – you know, it does have some downside, right? That Giants offense is just not one that we can trust week to week, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't see how you can until they replace the quarterback. When's that going to happen? do You think? Because we are, I, we're we're three seasons into Eli Manning just being objectively bad when he plays. At some point, well, you think only, the Giants, only three? <laughs> I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be nice. I, I was going to say it's been, it's been a decade. Trying to be nice, but the <laughs> the point, I mean, the fact remains like what are the giants doing at some point they have to give i mean i'm not saying daniel jones was a good draft pick either like you you just have to move on from eli manning at some point and they're clearly not going to win many games this year if any right and so why not get a look at the rookie like what are they waiting for
1: i you know i think they're waiting for the right time in the schedule to move on from that and and right now looking at the Giants' schedule it looks like october 20th is the right time to do that um Leading up to that, they play all right, so they play Tampa next week at Tampa. They play Washington at home, Vikings at home, and then they have a short turnaround to a Thursday night game at New England where they will be eviscerated. So you don't really want to put Daniel Jones in his first start against Minnesota or New England. So I, I think after that, they have a 10-day layoff, and then they play the Arizona Cardinals at home in an early kick it okay. to me that's the right time for Daniel Jones to enter the fray if he does not enter the fray there I would not be surprised if they just stuff Eli Manning down our throat the rest of this season and really kind of lose a year of these good pass catchers these good young pass catchers Sterling Shepard Evan Ingram you know Golden Tate is is kind of getting up there but he's a good receiver and Saquon Barkley I mean you're wasting these guys not getting them playing time with Daniel Jones so I, to me, it behooves them to put him in as soon as possible. I think October twentieth is the right date to do it against Arizona.
0: Yeah, I mean you've painted the perfect picture, right? He'll be coming off two matchups where Eli Manning will probably look really bad. You know, Minnesota, New England; those are both good defenses. And in the, and the New England game, because it's on a Thursday, will give them extra time to get more practice for Daniel Jones, more time in the film room, or whatever it's going to take to prep him for that game against Arizona. We know that Arizona is a soft opponent. You've painted a great picture. I don't. I mean, I like I said, I think you could book it That that's the first game that Jones will start. I think that's a really uh sharp take there. We're going back to week two. Are there any other quarterbacks you would consider uh big busts? I have, you know, Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson kinda of headlining my list. Both of them were pretty disappointing. Uh anybody else you want to add to that list?
1: Yeah, I think we could I think we could probably add Phillip Rivers to that. He was not good. Threw zero touchdowns, you know, he didn't get three hundred yards, he threw a pick. Uh I, I didn't think that was so hot. Carson Wentz did not look good last night. He was very inefficient. Um, yeah, I think it took him 45 attempts to get 230 some odd yards. So I, you know, to me, he still looks really rough and and kind of not ready to play yet. I didn't think Matt Ryan looked particularly good either. And it, the, the couple touchdowns that he did have, he had the long one to Ridley and the long fourth down play to Julio Jones. Those were those were plays made by receivers. Those were not great throws um you know one of the obviously it's a screen pass it's hard to screw that up but you know jones houses that all by himself it's a good it was a good scheme and then the the long play to ridley really just won the ball against two players so i mean that's to me matt ryan does not look good right now it took him you know he's inefficient 27 to 43 last night against the eagles defense that can that can be had right now i mean they still look pretty weak in the in the defensive secondary so You know, Winston Ryan front and center last night, they did not look good to me. They looked kind of busty.
0: Yeah. And I, I can see that, but what I will say in their favor is that both of them looked better in the second half of that game. It was ugly in the early going and they kind of ramped it up. That might lead me to believe that these two are guys who are just kind of getting back into the swing of things through two weeks of the season. And maybe in week might not happen in week three, but maybe by week four or week five, uh, they'll be back to the players we expected to get them at. And even you know with the disappointing overall performance, they both still finished as top 12 fantasy quarterbacks through Sunday. So uh, they're giving you usable production. Were they great? No. But uh, I, I don't think you, you killed yourself if you had either of them in your lineup. It's not like they, they ruined your fantasy day. Both of them had over 15 points. So uh, I'm not too worried about them yet. But if they're still playing like this in two weeks, then yeah, we're going to have a problem. Josh, I think that's all I got for you uh, in terms of our week two recap. Uh, you want to touch on anything else before we sign off and uh, come back again tomorrow for waivers? No, I think uh, I think
1: we pretty much covered it.
0: All right. Well, why don't you let folks know where they can find your work uh, and find you on social media and everything like that?
1: Yeah. So on Twitter, you can find me at Josh underscore ADHD. My work you can find on the uh, the Player Usage app over at Roto Grinders and I have an Air Yards app as well at my personal site, fantasyadhd.com. Uh, so that's where you can find me at the moment when I'm not being snarky on Twitter.
0: Listeners, thank you very much for tuning in to The Most Accurate Podcast. I appreciate uh, you hanging out with us while we ran through Week 2. Josh will be back again tomorrow for the Week 3 Waiver Wire show. So until then, adios. Come out,
2: come out. You wake up every morning, thank God for those legs. That's north south.